Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're actually in our studio, which is a little bit of a change. We had a long weekend with uh, recording some podcasts offsite, but I'm sitting here with the wonderful, the talented, newest member to the Project Purple team, Brianna Burt. Brianna, how are you? I'm good, how are you, Dino? I'm doing great, it's Monday morning. <laughs> the weather's beautiful. Well, for those of you who are listening at home, and have not heard the name Brianna Burt with Project Purple. You may have heard of Brianna Burt outside of Project Purple, which we're gonna get into. Uh, we are excited. Brianna now is part of the Project Purple team, overseeing our run walk program, along with our third party program, but comes to us as a recent graduate from Southern Connecticut State University, was a fall, uh, excuse me, four time All American yeah. in track and field. <laughs> so we're excited. We're gonna talk about that. And with that, Brie, as we always do uh, with all of our guests, this is your opportunity to give our audience a little bit of background on what you've been doing. Clearly you were in school, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, but share with our audience a little bit of your background and your experience and kind of catch up with Project Purple here. Um, yeah, so I'm a recent graduate of Southern Connecticut. I didn't always, I didn't start from Southern Connecticut. I actually went to the University of Hartford um, for my freshman and my sophomore year. I was a soccer recruit, actually. So I played soccer for about 17 years, and then I decided that I wanted to do it collegiately. So I was looking around, and I stumbled upon the University of Hartford, which had great programs academically and then amazing programs athletically. So I committed to them my junior year in high school. That's when I started getting into track and field as well. Um, I really just wanted to stay fit for soccer. So that was kind of a forced thing that I was told that, you know, you have to stay in shape for soccer, so you have to do something in the spring. So that's where track and field came in. Uh, I did soccer all of my life. Uh, it was my first love. So coming into a new sport like track and field, it was really weird. Um, I wasn't expecting anything of it. I was kind of dreading it because I... I'm not a huge fan of running. Even now, I'm not a huge fan of running. Distance running. All running. <laughs> <laughs> All running. But um, so it was nerve-wracking getting into it. Um, so I eventually started hurdling, and that was a huge feat because... Why hurdling? I wanted to do the hardest thing that I could possibly do. And it, it was just, it seemed really cool, really fun. And not many people want to do it, especially in high school, because they don't want to risk falling. <laughs> but I wanted to do something that required a lot of skill set and a lot of practice. So doing that was amazing. Originally, my coach didn't want me to hurdle. He wouldn't let me hurdle my freshman year when I started doing all of that. He's Your like, track and field coach? Or yeah, the coach? head coach. Um, the track and field coach was like, no way, you're not going to hurdle. We're just going to have you run and jump and do a bunch of other things. And when I got into my sophomore year, I was like, I was determined. I was like, I'm going to hurdle this year. You cannot stop me. We need the points. And it looks really fun. Let me do it. So so did you try like the other disciplines? Like, did you try the long jump? Did you t try a high jump? Or did you try like maybe some of the shorter sprinting distances? So my freshman year, I did the four by one, the 100, just the flat race. I did the 200, I did the long jump, and I did the high jump as well. 
So I had a pretty full plate, and obviously in high school track and field, you can only do four events per meet. So I was always loaded with that, and I would just rotate in wherever they needed me. So if they needed me to do high jump one meet, I would do high jump, long jump one meet, but I would always be doing four events. So you're constantly moving. And for those listeners at home, I mean, a high school meet, you've got multiple, even collegiate meets, you've got multiple events going on at the same time. It's not like a cross country race or, you know, I think maybe our audience is used to like the marathons where, you know, the marathoners go out and then they come to the finish line. Or in some races you have a 5K, 10K, and maybe they alter the starting times, but eventually they all kind of come to the same place. I mean, a track is contained, but during a track meet, you could have the hurdlers going on. You can have javelin, discus. You can have jumpers going at all at the same time. So to do four events at meets, you're constantly moving. You don't get any downtime. No, you have to be aware. And it was definitely very, very different from soccer where it's like, you know, you're in the game. You're on the field. You're on the field. You're doing everything that the team is doing. You have to be engaged, but not in this discipline. With track and field, you have to know what's going on, the schedule, what time events are going off. You have to be listening for um, event calls all the time because you don't know when your event is going to start. And if you miss your event, you miss your event. There's no going back to it. They normally won't let you rerun it. Um, So it takes a lot of focus and a lot of discipline through that. So my sophomore year, I started hurdling and I wasn't horrible, but I wasn't fantastic. For hurdlers, you have certain steps that you take in between the hurdles, and you know you always aim for three-stepping. That's like your elite type of hurdlers, always three-step. And I was like my coach, um, my hurdle coach, he always used to joke and say, you're like a 15-step, <laughs> because I would always go so, so fast, and then I would like stutter. It'd be like these little, little steps, and then I would hurdle, and then I would run really fast, and then I would stutter again. So it was not the prettiest of hurdling experiences my first year, but it got better. And by the time I was a senior, I was able to become even better. I broke the school record for the 100 hurdles. I was the first state hurdler champion for Maloney, where I went in Meriden, Connecticut. And then I was the first New England champion coming out of Meriden for the hurdles. So that was pretty cool. So in high school, was your goal with track and field? I know you said like soccer was your life and that's what you were really determined. So was track and field just kind of this thing that was keeping you in shape for soccer and kind of secondary or like your senior year when you realized, hey, like I've got this, it kind of clicked, you know, and I'm exceeding and excelling. Then did you make a goal of like, hey, I want to get to New England and I want to be an All-Stater or was it just something that just happened? I mean, I always want to do well in everything that I put my energy into because if there's no reward and in the hard work that you're putting in, then what's the point? But really soccer was my main focus. I always wanted to make sure that soccer was coming first. And in my senior year, I realized that track was becoming this entity in my life that was becoming successful and becoming more and more enjoyable for me. So once that got to the point where it's like, okay, I can compete competitively and I was winning at um, invitationals and I was doing really well and I was rising up the state rankings, I realized that this was something that I wanted to do and pursue further than just in high school. So that's when I reached out to 
my soccer coach at the University of Hartford, and I was like, listen, like, this is something I'm doing really well at. Um, is there a Did you already sign? I was Hartford? already signed. I was committed. And... So you really didn't have to run track. That no, I didn't. Year, right? No. Because, like, most kids probably see themselves in those fall sports, like, even spring sports. I know spring sports, they usually sign the prior spring. Yeah. Sometimes kids kind of, you know, get lost in the shuffle, and they don't sign until that spring season, but... You didn't have to run track and field. No, I didn't have to do track and field. I didn't have to do anything, really. Um, I did my fall soccer. Um, I did club soccer, which, you know, ran through the winter and then into the spring as well. But I didn't have to do track and field at all. It was kind of like a secondary, like, okay, I enjoy it. Let me do it. Um, I didn't want to obviously give up on it or let my team down because that wasn't me. So when I actually got to the spring season, started doing well. I was like, listen, I want you to come out and I want you to see me run. Um, because I know that that's something that you guys never get to see as soccer coaches is like your athletes doing different things. I was like, listen, I'm really excited about this season. I want you guys to come out. I want you to see. And he actually brought the track and field coach from Hartford with him to one of my meets and didn't tell me about it. And they were like, yeah, like if you want to dual sport it, we completely support that. Let's do that. So I then signed also with track and fields. So that was two of my major goals. Um, growing up was to play Division One soccer, but my newer goal was to run Division One track. And so I got that chance, and that was really, really cool. And so going into my freshman year of college, it was really like a dream come true. I was going to this amazing school. And I was getting to do two of the sports that I loved. I was pumped. It was so exciting for me. And, you know, it was a great experience when I was there. It was awesome. Um, but transitionally, it was very, very difficult for me to get into the swing of Division One soccer. It was something that I loved doing. And by no stretch of the imagination, I, wasn't pre I was prepared. It wasn't like I was going in unprepared and I didn't have the skill to do it. It was just very, very time-consuming, and the pressures and the demands of Division One soccer, I think just from Hartford, it wasn't what I was expecting it to be, and it wasn't a really great fit for me. So I went through two years of doing both soccer and track, and track was amazing. I was excelling. I was doing everything that I wanted to do in the track realm, but the soccer realm, it wasn't really what I it wasn't living up to the expectation that I had in my head of what Division One soccer would be. Um, we were winning. We were doing great on um, the team, that is. We were regular season champions for my f both years. I have two rings from Hartford. So it's really cool. I don't really get to talk about that, but I do have championship rings um, from Division One soccer. But I wasn't playing as much as I would like to. And the coach wasn't really giving me an opportunity to prove myself. It was more of just a, oh, hey, throw Brianna in when we're up. Throw Brianna in when there's a chance. And so that wasn't really what I was aiming for when I signed with the school. So in the track realm, everything was going great. I broke the 60-meter hurdle record and the 100-meter hurdle record in my two years being there. At Hartford. At Hartford, yeah. So my freshman year, I broke the hurdle record right off the bat. First meet, um... It was awesome. I was really excited, and my coaches were amazing through it. I had an amazing hurdle coach when I was there my first year. Um, she really, really pushed me to be great, and she got me back into hurdling indoor because that was my first experience with indoor track. I never ran it 
before that first year. So it was really exciting for me. And when I continued to my next year, to my sophomore year, I really didn't get an opportunity to play for soccer. And so my focus kind of shifted towards track. And that's when I decided that I no longer would be playing soccer. Um, it was a really, really hard decision. Um, but me and the coaches at Hartford figured that it wasn't really the best fit for me. And I didn't want to put all of my time and my effort into traveling and practicing if I wasn't really going to excel where I was. And so that was really hard. It was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life was to stop playing soccer because, like I said, 17 years, that's a very long time to be doing something and putting hours and hours of time into it. Um, so that was a really hard blow. And the scariest part of that was I had to tell my family that I was no longer going to be playing soccer and that I had to make a decision if I was going to stay at Hartford or if I was going to move on and find a different um, university. And at first I really wanted to stay at Southern, not Southern Hartford. I really wanted to stay there. For track and field. For track and field. Um, the issue is, is that a lot of places aren't fully funded. It was a mid-major D1 and it wasn't a fully funded program. So the money and your scholarship was a soccer scholarship, yes. not track and field. Yeah. So the minute that, and this is the business side of yeah. collegiate sports, clearly here to just talk to that for a second. The minute you say like, hey, I'm out of soccer, yeah. then that scholarship goes to someone a else. freshman or someone yeah. else coming in. And because your scholarship was for soccer, regardless of your excellence at track and field, you didn't yeah. have a track and field scholarship. Exactly. So. And that was one of the things that my family struggled with a lot is because, like, how can you promise someone four years of their life that they will be all set? And Were they then, mad at you or mad at Hartford? I think a little bit of both. Um, I think they were really upset that, you know, I wasn't going to be continuing soccer there. Um, it was disappointing because they put a lot of effort into getting me to practice and well, paying yeah. for the, the years, the 17 yeah. years. I mean, it's, it's, it's all the traveling and everything. So do you think, and I just want to talk about the soccer for a second. Do you think you got burnt out? Um, I don't think I was burnt out. I think that the demands that they were putting on me for technicality and, you know, the, the need for me to be present there versus being present in the classroom. There was a lot of demand for me to be there always. I was sacrificing my education to be present in soccer. And your major, you majored, when you started at Hartford was the same major. major yeah, which so was, it was English creative writing. Yeah, and you're creative and that's <laughs> something that you love to do and yeah. your GPA is super high. So I know, you know, from talking and for our listeners at home, just giving them a little bit of the backstory, you know, from an education standpoint, I know that was something that, you know, you and I have talked about was just something that was really important to you. And, and I think that's one of the things, you know, for our listeners at home, and I don't know how many, you know, have dealt with this with children or themselves, you know, I mean, Division One athletics is an amazing accomplishment yeah. right? to get someone to offer you to come to the school for free to play for them in whatever sport. But there's a trade-off there. There's always a trade-off with you know, that. Like you, you are supposed to do the job of being a collegiate athlete, which is, you know, win games. I yeah. mean, at the end of the day, and that's very like crude and rude, I think. But at the end of the day, it's a that's business, yeah. right? That they, there. It's not just hey, go to school, have a great experience, party, meet friends, you yeah. know, best friends sometimes, uh, loved ones that you know, future loved ones or spouses. 
but there's a business of collegiate athletics and it's a big business and the pressure i think that's put on the youth um, is astonishing which i don't think gets talked about much and you know i think like you always hear the backstories of like oh well that kid couldn't cut it at xyz school but what's really the backstory of it? You know, the, the amount of pressure that is put on those kids. I mean, you're talking someone, you know, could be 16, well, between 16 and 18, yeah. right? 18 years old, that, you know, has this huge responsibility now or this weight of the shoulders, uh, weight on their shoulders of being able to perform at such a high level against people that are 21 years old. Even you know, older. Even older. You see yeah. That now. It they transfers, right? Like, transfers. I think there was a kicker this past weekend that was like 32 or something on yeah. one of the teams. I think it was Colorado, Nebraska. I was watching that game, and I think they said the kicker was like a 31 year old, like red shirt, like senior. Yeah, like there, are, there are track and field athletes that are that age too because right. there's international play. Exactly. So, so it's, it's just, um, you know, I think that's one thing that I, I hope the listeners um, can take in here is that, you know, that amount of pressure that's put on these young people people um young adults not only like from now with the social aspect of it but education and then you know from a sporting end because i think that's something that doesn't get talked about you know and the universities it happens everywhere you know put a lot of pressure on these kids and at the end of the day they're 18 year old kids yeah that still have a lot growing a lot of growing up and some of them you know it's just um it's sad to see that amount of pressure that's put on these kids yeah. um, with that situation in collegiate athletics, athletics, because, you know, I know Hartford with soccer, there's probably not a lot of money on the line in terms of endorsement deals. But if you think about some of these schools that play for these national football championships and, yeah. you know, there's millions, millions and millions and millions of dollars on the line determined on a particular performance of a child, Yeah, which is crazy. It's a lot. It's a lot, and I don't think people understand also the business aspect of no. collegiate sports. <laughs> it is a business. Um, it is. It's a huge business, and I think that's what I had to make my family understand was like, listen, I'm not upset about this because they made a business deal yeah. with me, and I didn't hold up my end of the contract, and so they're looking to make money, and I'm okay with that. I understand that. Yeah. They invested money in me. They don't feel like their investment is being returned so they had to make a business decision based on you know where is their money going and how will their money be better spent and I wasn't upset about that because I understood that collegiate soccer is it's a big business yeah. it really is especially at the University of Hartford it is a huge huge deal what they're doing there you know the money sports are baseball basketball and soccer there because they don't have a football, football team, team yeah. so it's like their money has to be well spent. And I completely understood that and I had no hard feelings about it. They were actually doing me a huge favor. Um, well, pushing you into cross, uh, to track and field. Yeah. I was gonna say cross country, but. So now you, you find this spark and the success in track and field at the collegiate level. Yeah. So you decide, hey, soccer's not for me, I'm out. I wanna focus on track and field and academics. Where does that bring you next? Um, I had a huge decision to make. Um, whether I wanted to stay or leave. And it wasn't looking like they could financially put me 
in a place where I could stay at and Hartford. Hartford's not cheap. Oh my gosh, it is. <laughs> private school is yeah, not cheap. Uh, I think it's like around sixty now. Yes, I think, it was. Uh, it was around a little bit north of that. It was. It was around that much yeah. when I was there. So it was like I can't. That's one year of tuition, folks. Yes. That's not a four one year. year. Yeah, just one year. And so, as much as I loved Hartford, and I was very, very comfortable there, and I had so many friends and teammates, and it was really hard to make that decision to be like, listen. I have to leave but you know I was sitting in class one day and I was just like you know what I can't do this anymore I can't be here this is not being reminded of not being able to play soccer and even though I love the track team I love the coaches I was super successful I had broken the school record for the 100 hurdles that year so it was like I wasn't not being successful but I just I couldn't stay so I was sitting in class and I was like you know what I heard so much about Southern Connecticut and about their track team. And that's the one thing that I heard is that their track team knows how to compete and how big they were there. And originally I looked at Southern and I was like, you know, they can't give me the money that I needed. So, you know, it kind of got put on the back burner. And so I walked out of class in the middle of class and I called Melissa Stoll, um, who's a head coach at Southern Connecticut. And I was like, listen, I'm looking to transfer what can you do for me? And immediate, immediately she was like, I have your file right here. We still have your file. Um, let's see what we can do. She goes, if you want to transfer, let's get the paperwork going. All you need on your end is paperwork. Um, we can figure this out for you. And she was like, you know what? I can offer you some money too. So that was awesome. It wasn't anywhere near what Hartford was giving me. I was like $1,000 in alumni grant which was cool because, you know, I wasn't expecting any money going over there because it was so late. It was May, the end of May. So it was like, okay, there's, there's no way there's any scholarship money left, but they found something for me. And so I called my mom and I was like, listen, we're, we're going to Southern. And she was pissed. She was not happy at all. She was like, so you're telling me that you're not doing soccer anymore. You're gonna go to a division two school and just run track what are you doing what are you thinking it's like well they have my they have my major it's cheaper it's closer to home and you know one of my really good friends at the time um, who was supposed to go to Hartford she went to Southern so I was like I have friends there she'd be my teammates I have someone to live with so I'd have an off-campus apartment it'll be perfect she's super against it (laughs) she was like there's no way she's like call the the soccer coaches, call them and see what they can do for you. I was like, I don't want to do soccer anymore. Um, That ship has flown. I'm I'm good. I'm good. And so it took a little convincing. And I talked to my grandfather, who's like my father figure. um, And he was like, you have to do what's best for you. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. You just, you need to be focused and do what's best for you. We support you 100%. And so that fall, I was enrolled at Southern Connecticut. And I will say, it was the best decision of my life. At first, it was really difficult because I didn't really know anybody. Um, And that was really scary. It was going into a place where I knew no one. I had my teammates, but even then, it was a new team, so I didn't really know. And I felt really alone at first. And that's like the scary thing that people don't talk about is when you're going into a new situation, 
you don't know anybody and you feel really alone and that was really hard for me um was that alone feeling because I was away from home and I wasn't living on campus so it was like okay I have roommates but you know they're going about their own life so I was going home a lot and you know commuting which wasn't the plan but I was commuting and so it made it really hard for me so do you think you grow more in times like that though I think so I think it really makes you choose who you want to be because you can definitely succumb to that loneliness and can put yourself in a really really tough spot and I won't say that it wasn't hard and it wasn't a learning experience for me because it was difficult and I will say that a lot of times athletes won't talk about um hard times for them because you know I wasn't I was in soccer shape and that was really really hard for me I was running the gauntlet every time I went to practice and it was like listen like you need to get into track shape you need to lose like 20 pounds you need to readjust your muscle structure because you do not need to be bottom heavy anymore you need to even out and you need to be strong all all the way around and so it was really really difficult emotionally mentally for me school was great school was going well um i will say that the english program at southern surpasses anything that i saw at hartford it's one of the best english programs in the state i'd like to say in new england it's just it was amazing so i was learning so much and i was just it was really difficult um so fast forward you know to the end of the year well to the winter is when I started really seeing my results I wasn't the best but I was getting there and by the end of my indoor season I was able to win my first Northeast 10 championship in the 60 hurdles and that was completely unexpected we went in and we're like listen just score points get to the final score points that's all all we expect of you and so winning that was absolutely amazing because it kind of just reshifted everything that I wanted to do and it was amazing I felt like I was able to do anything and so that weekend I ran the 60 meter dash the 60 hurdles and then the 200 as well and so if you know anything about it there's always a prelim and a final so I ran the so prelim four races total so it was two of the 60 two of the hurdles and then two of the 200 so six so six races in one weekend so that was that was like a really big test for me it was difficult but being able to come with some hard, come home with some hardware was really awesome and then you know we went outdoors and I was able to accomplish the same thing um I was a two-time anytime champion for the hurdles and then I was able to run in New England's as well and do pretty well in New England's so that was really cool so you start to have the success at Southern pretty quickly I wouldn't say right away yeah. as you said there were times where being alone struggled a bit right yeah. in, in times of adversity and then you start to have success and then that led to kind of a culmination kind of the following year then yeah you come back you've got kind of a full year underneath your your belt as they say there at Southern and then now you're somewhat acclimated you know yeah. the team you know the process you're working hard you go through the summertime and now you come back that following season 
repeat it all again, but just yeah. a little bit better. And it was my senior year, so it was like I really wanted to be super successful with them. Yeah. And so that's when I kind of tried to step into a leadership role, and I started to do all of these things. I was, again, a NE10 champion in the 100 hurdles, in the 60 hurdles. I was winning meets, which was awesome, because I never thought that I would go to invitationals and be beating the girls who kind of were beating me. And for those of you who don't know, it doesn't matter what division you're in for invitationals or anything like that because it's open. It's, it's open. Yeah. There are professionals that are running at some of these meets. So it's like to be able to win invitationals, it's really amazing and it really kind of solidifies all that hard work that you're doing and says, okay, I'm doing something right. Let's keep it going. And so... By that time, I was really being very successful. And at the end of my spring season, I was able to make a national bid. Well, indoor and outdoor, I made my first national bid. And I went to nationals, and I was ranked like 14th indoor. So it wasn't anything crazy. It was like I just slid in there. Mm -hmm. And I was able to finish 11th overall, which is second team All-American. So that was my first All-American status that I posted. And it was awesome. I was able to share that with my family. They flew out to um, Kansas, Pittsburgh, Kansas with me to see me run. And I didn't make finals, but I got to run my prelims and I got a personal best out of that. And so it was a successful weekend for me to post that, that bid. carried you into the outdoor season. And that carried me into the outdoor season where I was like, all right, we got to figure something out. And so, you know, I went any 10 champion again. And I went to New England, and I was able to be a New England champion. And so having two New England championships under your belt, one in high school, one in college, is is really, it's difficult to do. (laughs) And so that was something that I set a goal for myself. And I really wanted to be able to, you know, achieve that not only for myself, but for my team and then for my family. Um, And then we went to nationals. And again, you know, I slid in there at, the lower end of the spectrum and I got in the line and it was just it wasn't my best race it was really really horrible actually um I ran like a 14 something and I'm a 13 second runner so it's like wasn't very happy with that and you know again I got all-american status but second team so I didn't make that final and for me that was really really difficult because it's like I'm putting all this hard work in I really hate watching the finals from the stands And so I talked to my coach, and he was like, hey, you know, next year you have eligibility left. You have a season of eligibility. Do you want to come back? And I was like, well, hell yeah, I want to come back. (laughs) Why wouldn't I want to come back? This is awesome. So I extended my – So now you go into So now I go into my – Well, it was was uh, fifth year. year. And I was like, okay. Let's extend. So instead of taking a summer course and walking this year, I'm going to extend to next year and then pick up a, a minor or two, and we'll see so where that take goes. A, take a full course load. So the Because first, you can't just like, for yeah. listeners at home, just because you get a fifth year doesn't mean they can just take like one class or yeah. just hang out and party on a campus. Yeah. Not that you would party, but you just can't sit and, you know, work out all day. Yeah, it, so you have to take a, you have to be full-time. Yeah. So I think that's, 12 credits yeah which is usually like a minimum it's like of three classes three or four classes yeah. so it's it's a lot so yeah. my first my fall semester was a lot of writing courses I think I took three writing courses full-time writing courses 
and they were intense. They were very intense. I think one was like Shakespearean literature. Um, and then I did a rhetoric class. So that's all about writing and arguing. And so they weren't easy. They weren't easy classes. They were like 400 level English courses, which is almost grad level. So it was like, it was a lot of writing, a lot of work. So my fall semester was very, very difficult. And I was working as well. Would you ever think like at that point, like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, um, when you get why? to the when you get to the ten page papers, you kind of question your yeah. existence. Period. Yeah. It's like okay, it's it's time to re reconsider. reconsider this. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I got to that point where it's like okay, I'm doing all this work. I'm working too. I had a job, so I would wake up super early, go to my job, and then. Practice, Still working out, yeah. Practice and then go to classes, and it was a lot. It was definitely a lot. And then the other challenge that I met was I didn't have eligibility indoor, so I had to run as an independent, separate from the team. And being able to do that is really, really difficult because the team gives you can't give you financial support. So I was paying for my own meets, and I was. And so we talked about this. Yeah. Offline. <laughs> previously so for those listening at home when you're a collegiate athlete the team you know the school picks up everything you get everything. on a van you get on a bus you go and you know you, your laundry's done for you your, your shoes are there your food you get all that being that fifth year you're independent you have to provide your own busing or you have to provide your own transportation, transportation so you need to included. get to the meet yep. you need to lodge yourself you need to feed yourself yeah could you wear the southern jersey no so it's an independent. So I jersey. couldn't wear my southern jersey. So technically, the indoor season, because you had no eligibility left from because you did indoor at Hartford, that ate into the four years of because in college, well, it depends. You only if get you, four, you only get four years unless you redshirt. Unless you redshirt. Well, I think they allow you now two redshirt. Years, one academic. Right? Oh, one. One academic and then one, one medical. Medical. But you have to have proof for the medical, obviously. Like some sort of injury, an yeah. ACL tear or some catastrophic injury that yeah. doesn't allow you to compete in the events. And that's what I did. <laughs> so you did that, and so that indoor season, you're still allowed to compete, but as an independent. Yeah. And I know you and I talked about the challenges of that because, you know, here you are, you know, you're still in college, you have a part-time job, but you still are paying to go to these events on your own dime. Yeah. Which some of them were not, I mean, we're not talking about going from like Hartford, Connecticut to, you know, New York City. Yeah. You know, there are some of those were so I went, pretty far. Yeah, I went to Dartmouth, which is in New Hampshire. Yeah. And that was... Which is not a day trip. Oh, no. It was awful. That was the worst drive ever. I was super lucky because my mom um, drove me and my boyfriend at the time, who is still my boyfriend now, to compete up there. And when I tell you, it was crazy. We drove all day. And then we got to the hotel, went to bed, woke up early, and went to the meet. It was like, go, go, go. And you really don't get downtime. But... I think with the travel, so it was like we went to Dartmouth, we went to Boston, we went to New York, and it was just all about going. There, The entry fees are not cheap. So, you know, you hear about some, like you do 5Ks and stuff like that, and they're like 20 bucks. That's not bad. No, we're not talking about $20 entry fees. No, fee. it was $30 an event. An event yeah. So it's like if I wanted to run the hurdles and I wanted to run the 60 dash, um, that would be 60 bucks right there. 
and that doesn't that doesn't give me any pull into the finals it's like if you run like crap you run like crap and that's it and thank you for your 60 dollars see you later have a great day so it was a lot of adjustment for that um i was still able to train with the team which was really cool i just couldn't wear southern Southern, so i had to buy my own singlet and wear that but training with the team still working with my coach um i did pretty well at the meets it was really difficult though that season because there was a lot of controversy around women athletics at that time um, I know we talked about it, Dino, but there was a trans athlete who started running that year. So really it was, of course, she was in my conference. So it's like you talk about adversity, that's it. You know, going into what is going to be your last collegiate experience and going from, you know, the top tier, being number one in the conference and being number one in New England to now having to challenge yourself with a trans athlete was difficult there's a lot of backlash around it and you know people will come up to you and talk to you about it and have some really hateful things to say and that was never my position towards it you know I can't tell you who you who you are who you want to be and that's not my place my place is to be a supportive force and so you go to these meets not with the university but by yourself you're able to get a new perspective on it and really see what's going on around you and you know I was there for myself I was there to compete and I was there to make sure that I didn't fall off from my training because you know training without competing is really hard Mm -hmm. so I wanted to make sure that I was on top of my game and so just being there and seeing kind of the hate that was behind it it really kind of changed my perspective on my season. Do you think because when you're with the university and I just relate this back to even when I and this is going back 20 years when I played collegiately, you know, you're always with the team. Like everything you do, you're with like a buddy or a buddy system, right? And coach says, okay, if you're going to get food or you're going somewhere, you know, bring someone together with you. So you're somewhat insulated, you know, from the noise from the outside. So similar to what you said just now that I think the one thing with collegiate athletics, and I've seen this even at the higher levels, you know, here in Connecticut with, I I know for the UConn men's basketball, when they were winning all these championships, even for their home games, they don't even stay on campus because there's too many distractions, right? And they want to be away from the distractions. So they actually, well, when Jim Calhoun was a coach, and they may still do this, is they used to actually stay in Farmington, which was across the river, you know, and then they would drive back to campus the day of the games and stuff like that. So it's very interesting what you just said because it kind of put the reality of what was going into everything versus kind of almost like a sheltered situation because I think as a collegiate athlete they are somewhat sheltered from all the noise and all the distractions which in a way is good but also in this context was probably more more of a negative because you don't get to see that person's situation it was more of an out of sight out of mind for a lot of people yeah um I think it was in the beginning, it was like, oh, this isn't going to happen. They're not going to allow this. And then, you know, with every other every other opinion that's out there, you know, this shouldn't happen. This is awful. What's going on? I think that it really, you get a tainted sense of mind when it comes to these things because you have everybody else's opinion and you don't really get to see it with other people. And so being able to see it firsthand and be like, okay, this isn't where I want to be. I want to be supportive. I want to be a driving force in this because, you know, 
the Anytown isn't very big by any stretch of the imagination. Not many people hear about it. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that, you know, if they were going to hear about us and hear about our schools, I wanted to represent Southern, even though I wasn't independent at the time, I want to represent Southern in a way that will make people proud. And so, you know, after the indoor season, I was able to finish. I wasn't able to go to nationals, obviously, because that's only collegiate. I was able to go to the USATF indoor nationals, which is really cool because it's all professionals. It's It was great. It was a great experience. I got to, my heat. I ran next to Sharika Nelvis, which she is one of the up, up and comers. She's crazy good, and she's an Adidas athlete, and I got to do some of my pre-race warm-ups with a couple of Nike athletes and so it was like oh my gosh this is so cool because I got to be on that like level with them and step on the line with them which kind of just solidifies that okay I'm doing everything right I got into that so do you think that experience as hard as it was and just from hearing you talk and now you go into the spring and you had like an amazing spring season. Oh yeah. <laughs> so do you think that was kind of the motivation or maybe a catalyst to like propel you and it's like seeing that and being around? I mean, you know, we always, there's, there's a lot of things that are said, but they say like, you know, the, you can judge someone's character by the five people that they hang around the most. Yeah. So if you're hanging around or being around or seeing these other athletes that are at that extreme level, that kind of motivates you and or you find things out or you're talking to them and realize like you know it's almost like I remember when I used to play we, we used to I played division three but we used to try to I always tried to play with like division one athletes yeah. because you want to raise your game right and that's yeah. how you get better is surround yourself with better people yeah um, I love racing against people who are better than me it really shows me what I need to work on but so do you think that period in there where you had kind of and also like times of adversity like you really you grow like yeah. similar to like how you said when you left you know Hartford you kind of grew tremendously because you were kind of in the space and you had no it, I think there's two things you well there's a lot of things you can do but I would say two like either you can regress yeah or you can excel and yeah. grow and so do you feel maybe that was kind of another period in time even though you weren't out of kind of like the the core of you know what was going on, but you had no choice but to be an independent and, and kind of not necessarily be in the, the coddling of like the team hotel, yeah. or the team bus, or kind of you're no. on your own. And I definitely think that that was part of it, but by no means I knew I I was meant to be there. That was where I'm supposed to be, and I think that it took me stepping on the line with them to realize it. But there was no nerves. I wasn't scared. I wasn't worried. I knew I was supposed to be there and I stood on that line just like them like hey this is this is my this is my track this is where I'm gonna run and you know obviously I didn't they're fast (laughs) they move they move through those hurdles and so I got a PR out of it so that was awesome but I knew I was supposed to be there and there was no nerves there was no second guessing myself I stood on that line ready to go I got in my blocks and I had an amazing race and so Coming into that, it's like, okay, like, yeah, it solidifies. It's a great experience, but I was there. I was there for business. I wanted to do it. And the one thing that I loved about it was I didn't have to wear my independent jersey. I wore my Southern jersey. Um, So I got to represent the school in that way. And it propelled me, like you said, to the spring season where I have this huge adversity 
coming in with my conference where it's like, okay, well, now I have to run, run against a trans athlete. And in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, you know, it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy, but let's see what happens. And let's be positive about it. Let's be a positive force because I want her to feel accepted. Female athletics is a very, very tricky place. You know, females are very, very catty. And they're not very accepting. This isn't anything new. Um, female athletes are no exception. And hurdlers are no exception. We are we are not very nice. <laughs> we are we are very fierce and very, very competitive. And so I wanted to give her her name is Cece Teffler. I wanted to give her all of the love and support that comes with being a part of female athletics because we need to lift each other up. That's the biggest thing um, is we need to stand together and lift each other up. So doing that, I just wanted to be my best. So we went to so many meets. There's a lot of times that I didn't see her because she wasn't there. Um, She had a lot of difficulties with traveling because they were very concerned about her well-being. You know, she'd go to Texas and she would have to have people around her at all times. Um, She went to Florida, flew in that day, raced, and then left because they were very concerned for her safety, and which I thought was awful. But, you know, I put in the back of my head and I competed really well over the spring. I was able to, you know, drop down some time and fast forward to the to conference, you know, that was the biggest thing. Everybody wanted to see me and CC go head to head. And, you know, I was ready for it. I was definitely ready for it. And so, you know, I ran my prelim for um, conference and, you know, it was pouring rain. It was awful. <laughs> it was really, really bad. It was cold. It was rainy. And so, you know, I ran, I ran a decent time. She did too. And then we came to day two. Again, it was cold and rainy. Um, and, you know, we ran well. We went one, two. And I think it became something that we did is we always talked before the race because I'm, I'm not that person that kind of like zeroes in and I need to be distracted. Um, so, you know, we talked before the race. We gave each other a hug, you know, and we always said, let's go one, two. Didn't matter who was going one, two. Let's just go one, two. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the biggest thing was to make sure that she felt supported. And obviously myself, because I want to do well, but that was a guaranteed. I always competed well. That was the main thing is I always like to compete. Competitive person, I want to compete well. And that's one thing that my coach always says about me is you compete really, really well. It doesn't matter who's on the line with you. You kind of get that tunnel vision and you go. And so she autoed, she auto-qualified for nationals at um, that meet. I didn't. I moved up a little bit, but, you know, I was stoked for her. It was amazing. Um, So we go to New England's, and, you know, they normally put us right next to each other for every race because, you know, we're one-two always, so we're always next to each other. And so we go to New England's. We Southern hosted, so I was on my home track for my last collegiate race on that track, which was awesome prelims I was by myself and I ran awesome I have the video and it's like I just gapped the whole field I was like two hurdles ahead of everybody and it was just so relaxed and so well it was one of my best races and I PR'd and I broke the school record again for the last time and it was great obviously it was my own record but you know 
it's just something that's crazy amazing. Um, and so then we go into the finals. And again, you know, me and Cece right next to each other, four and five. Um, and, you know, we lined up together and we didn't really say much to each other beforehand. But we were standing there waiting for, you know, instructions. And she grabbed my hand and, like, gave me a squeeze. And, you know, that was something that we kind of always did. You know, grabbed hands, shook hands before it. Mm -hmm. And it was great. I ran another great race. Um, I came in third. And, you know, there was a girl from Dartmouth who she was fast. There's Jada Harris who was a Amherst runner super fast as well and so I'm running against the best of the best and I came up in third which is awesome I was projected like fourth or fifth so it was like all right I did something right and so that really solidified my national bid and so I was going in 11th that this year into the nationals, into nationals in Texas in Texas and so that was really exciting so I was ready it's like all right let's do this and we got on a plane we went down to Kingsville and, you know, my coach was talking to me like, listen, all you got to do is run your race. There's going to be people who are faster than you, but you just have to run your race. You have to be calm. You have to be relaxed. And so the one thing about Texas and for hurdlers, it's really windy all the time. Wind is crazy. So it's really, really hard for hurdlers to run because, you know, the wind pushes on your back and you run mm-hmm. up quickly on the hurdles and you make mistakes. And so in my heat... For the prelims, there's a girl from Pittsburgh, Kansas, who, oh my gosh, she flies. She, um, really, really fast girl. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to run behind her. And so coming in 11th, you're like, okay, you know what? Let's just see what happens. And so in the prelims, I ran really, really fast. And, you know, she ran a 12 9. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's professional level running. And, you know, I ran a 13, I think it was 7. And I beat a couple of girls, so that pushed me into the finals. Um, so how did that feel? So I got off the line. I think I was I was the first heat. And so I love that, but you hate that because it's a waiting game. So I got off the line, and, you know, we were walking back. They keep our stuff in the tents. I'm walking back, I'm walking back. I'm kind of, like, looking and trying to see what's going on and, you know, you look at the board and you're waiting to see what's going on, to see the results and official results came up and I saw that I was in at like the seventh mark. And I was like, oh my gosh, I started crying immediately. And like my coach came over and gave me a big hug. Um, We had another athlete So that means you're in the finals. I was in the finals. And an All-American once again. Yes, and an All-American once again. So this is the first time I made the finals. Finals, And so it was very, very emotional. Um, My boyfriend wasn't there to obviously be there in the stands. My family was, but he wasn't. So I gave him a call. I gave my grandfather a call who also wasn't able to be there. And it was just great. There was so much energy, so much like positivity. I was like, let's go. I'm so ready for this. And, you know, our we had a triple jumper there, like I said, and he was an All-American as well. He came in seventh. And so that was a really good day for him. And so then we went into the next day and, you know, it was, it's scary. It is because you're like, okay, What's going to happen? 
you know you're going to get on the podium as long as you cross that finish line. It doesn't matter where, where you do. Yeah. You're, you're going to get on the podium regardless. The Just line. get across the line. Don't fall start. And so my coach was like, listen, you're ready for this. There's no pressure on you. And I didn't feel pressure. Like I said, I don't get nervous. Um, I'm prepared for this stuff. I trained. The scariest part of everything is in track and field is the training aspect. Getting on the line is the fun part. Um, so I got on the line with these girls, and we've been running together since I transferred over my junior year. And so, you know, we all looked at each other, and we're like, this is it, guys. Like, they were all seniors. All of us were seniors. So it's like, it's our last race together. Let's Let's make it work. And obviously, Cece was next to me. She was in lane seven. I was in lane eight. And she she grabbed my hand again. And, you know, it was real because this is our last race together. And, you know, I looked at her. She looked at me, gave each other a nod. But she held on to my hand for a little bit longer. And it's so great because I have a picture of that. I have that moment where, you know, we're standing there holding hands united because, you support your conference when mm-hmm. you're at these big meets because, you know, they're your teammates yeah. now. And so I have that moment to be able to stand with her and run with her and obviously all the other girls. They're, fan- they're fantastic runners. They're amazing. And so, you know, I was like, let's do this. Get on the line, get in my blocks, take my last breath, wait for the gun. And, you know, I don't remember the race. It's one of those things where you just, you're in there, I don't remember it. Cross the line, and um, obviously I look at Cece because we finished it. I gave her a huge hug because, you know, that's something that we will always share. Like, we're all Americans together, and, you know, obviously all the other girls, we congratulated them, and I didn't really get to look up at the board. I didn't care about the time. The time wasn't my concern because I didn't need it for anything else. It was just about that race. I finished the line. I was an All-American. And, you know, I looked up at the board finally, and it showed that I came in sixth. So I beat wow. I beat two girls in the finals, and I was right behind Cece. I was right on her. And so that was really emotional for me because it's like, okay, I went in seventh, and I, I moved up a spot. Yeah. Um, but it was really symbolic for me because all of my life – I wore the number six for soccer. Um, that was my number. I, When I was really young, I chose that number because my grandfather were huge Yankees fans, and so that was Joe Torre's number. <laughs> and that was like, he was a man. So I wore it. At home, we've got another Yankee fan <laughs> on staff. And so, I, um, and so I always wore that number, and it was just so symbolic to me. And I looked at it, and I was like, that's, that's really cool. And so... I was waiting. We were standing around waiting on the podium. My coach was there, and he was stoked. Um, and I, and that was it. I got on the podium. I got my trophy. <laughs> so all American again. Yeah. And then any ten player of the year. Yeah, I uh, got track and field. Track and field athlete of the year. Athlete of the year. Um, for 2019, so and you, I wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> you leave with a lot of hardware. Yeah, yeah, I left with a lot of hardware. You become Southerns, I think one of their most decorated track and field hurdlers, hurdlers female hurdlers, hurdlers yeah, ever in the ever. history of, of Southern. So you'll yeah. probably get inducted into their Hall of Fame very Fingers soon. Crossed. Fingers crossed. So. Fingers crossed. And then um, you head to the real world because you're done running. 
Yeah. Well, I thought I was done running. You thought you were I thought running. I was done running. And then I got a call um, from Garden State um, Track Club, and they were like, hey, you want to you wanna sign with us? You want to keep running? And I was like, oh, I got roped into this one. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And so I ran my first race with them over the summer, and I was like, I can't get rid of this. I can't get rid of this thing in my life. I love it way too much. Um, obviously, it's going to be difficult, but I want to keep doing it. And so here I am now, real world. And real world. So real world. And you joined Project Purple back in uh, early July. Yeah. Um, here running our programs. And recently, I know um, your connection to the disease, unfortunately, you are connected. You just yeah. lost an aunt. Uh, yes, I did. Within the last couple of months, unfortunately. And so yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. I know that was one of the things when we interviewed you. Not to bring a, a, a somber subject into the, the conversation, but something that really appealed to you about the job. Yeah, so she passed away July 5th. Um, and it was really, really hard for my family because the progression of the disease obviously really, really overcame her. She was a person who was full of life and very excited about everything, always smiling. And, you know... The progression was just really, really devastating. She did, I think, one round of chemo, and it was just, it completely just took away from her willingness to really fight and be there. I think she was ready. She was definitely ready to just, to be done with everything. And so for my family, it was really, really hard. So we were at the funeral um, afterwards, and obviously I'm still looking for jobs because yeah, the real world is, it's scary. And I didn't want to work part-time because that just, it's not conducive to how I wanted to live. And so I was just scrolling through a job site and Project Purple popped up. And the first thing I saw was like run walk manager. And I was like, okay, I like this. I like this a lot. This It combines what I love and I can be in charge of it. And so I read the description and I saw that it was for pancreatic cancer. And I was sitting there with all my family and I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want to jinx it. I'm super, I'm superstitious. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna secretly apply for it and see how it goes. And throughout the whole process, I didn't tell anybody. Wow. Except for my boyfriend. I didn't know this. I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want to jinx it. And so that was really hard for me because my family's super close. So I was like, okay, once I get it, I'll tell everybody. And so, obviously, my boyfriend knew, and I was talking to him about it. And so I came in for my final interview, and then I got the call that I had gotten the job, which was super exciting. I cried. You don't know that, but I cried. (laughs) And so the first call that I made um, was to my uncle. I was like, listen, I have to tell you something. Please don't cry, because I'm already crying, so please don't cry. And he's like, all right, what's up? It's like, listen... I got this new job. It's my first full-time job. And I just want to let you know that it is a charity, a nonprofit charity. He's like, oh my gosh, that's great. That's something that, you know, you're really into. You love nonprofits. I was like, yeah, but that's not the amazing part. It's like, listen, I know how important it is to you to understand what was happening to Aunt Jo and to really get behind it and see why this happened what we can do in the future and so I want to let you know that I joined a nonprofit charity that specializes 
in pancreatic cancer research and patient financial aid. And he was really quiet for a really long time. Um, and I was like, Uncle Sonny, like, did you hear me? And he was like, your aunt would be so proud of you. And, you know, I lost it. It was just so emotional because we had a very special connection, me and my aunt, you know. I grew up without a dad, and so she also did as well. And she really, really wanted me to be, not to miss out on anything in life, um, especially being raised by a single mother. My family was a huge support for my mom and for me. And so she was one of those people that always wanted to make sure that I never went without. Um, the running joke in my family is I'm the princess um, because I was the only girl for a little bit. I was, a little, I was the only little girl for a while. And so she would always buy me a princess dress every holiday. My birthday, Christmas, Easter, I would always get a new Disney princess dress. And so we were very, very close. And I remember the last conversation we had was about my grandfather um, before I found out that she was diagnosed. And it was about how my grandfather was recently diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And so that's another one that's, it's really, really, really hard. Um, That's my best friend, my grandfather. So that was really hard. And obviously I'm a writer, so I wanted to start writing a book about him because he touched so many lives throughout his life. Um, He worked nonprofits all his life. And before that he was a teacher, so he really, He's an amazing man, and so we were talking about it, and I'm like, listen, like, I want to write a book so that everybody can tell their story of how they met my grandfather and how he changed his life, and she goes, I would love to help you with that, and unfortunately, she never got the chance to help me with it, but I think that, you know, she's always here with me, and so this this new journey for me is really to embrace all the caring and love that she gave to me in a positive way, and to bring it back to what we're doing here because family is really important and I want to be a supportive almost family member and I can feel that now here that you know that's what we are so well that's pretty uh, special that you just shared with our audience and I want to thank you for allowing our audience to hear that and for me for the first time I know I mean I know bits and pieces but that was pretty special here and uh, thank you for being part of the Project Purple family now yeah and we're excited to have you with all your talents and everything that you're doing with the run walk program already Uh, we've seen some great success with it early on and uh, the future is very bright here at project purple so with that i want to thank brie as we call her here internally (laughs) when it's brianna burt for being a guest on the project purple podcast and as we like to say that's a wrap (laughs) 